0: La, 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 friends. La, 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 ping. Okay, we're doing a teaching series on relationships, a mess worth making. And so the first week we talked about conflict, kind of looking at the root of conflict. And then last weekend we talked about conflict resolution. And so now we're going to talk about boundaries. And uh, when, I used to, when I was a medic, before I'd start an IV on someone, I'd always say, this is going to hurt just a little bit. And so, this may hurt just a little bit as we talk about boundaries here this morning. You guys ready? Ready for this? And so, uh, let me begin by uh, sharing with you a story. Probably one of the best boundaries books uh, is the book called Boundaries by Cloud and Townsend. If you want to pick that up, it's a really a great book. It's a book that brought a lot of sanity to my life a number of years ago. And you'll see why this uh, topic is so important. Let me read this story from that book. The parents of a 25-year-old man came to see me with a, a common request. They wanted me to fix their son, Bill. When I asked where Bill was, they answered, Oh, he didn't want to come. Why? I asked. Well, he doesn't think he has a problem, they replied. Well, maybe he's right, I said to their surprise. Tell me about it. They recited a history of problems that had begun at a very young age. Bill had never been quite up to snuff in their eyes. In recent years, he had exhibited problems with drugs and an inability to stay in school and find a career. It was apparent that they loved their son very much and were brokenhearted over the way he was living. They had tried everything they knew to get him to change and live a responsible life, but all had failed. He was still using drugs, avoiding responsibility, and keeping questionable company. They told me that they had always given him everything he needed. He had plenty of money at school so he wouldn't have to work and, and he would have plenty of time for study and social life. When he flunked out of one school or stopped going to classes, they were more than happy to do everything they could to get him into another school where it might be better for him. After they had talked for a while, I responded, I think your son is right. He doesn't have a problem. You could have mistaken their expression for a snapshot. They stared at me in disbelief for a full minute. Finally, the father said, did I hear you right? You don't think he has a problem? That's correct, I said. He doesn't have a problem. You do. He can do pretty much whatever he wants, no problem. You pay, you fret, you worry, you plan, you exert energy to keep him going. He doesn't have a problem because you have taken it from him. Those things should be his problem, but as it now stands, they are yours. Would you like for me to help you help him to have some problems? <laughs> like that? That's a good one, isn't it? So I want to talk to you about boundaries. Take a look at your sermon notes there. Boundaries, here's the definition for boundaries, are are property lines defining what you are responsible for and not responsible for. And that's where the conflict comes into our lives. It's what we're responsible for, not responsible for. Now, unlike walls, and, and, and our tendency is that when we are hurt in relationships, we tend to build walls, and that's bad because we tend to keep everything out Uh, boundaries have gates in them where we're able to let the good in and keep the bad out. And that's part of having good boundaries. A good boundary verse is Proverbs 4.23. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. It's the course of your life is based on your heart. And there's a whole slew of things that, that represent our heart I've got them there in your notes. Our heart are our core values, our thoughts, our beliefs, our feelings, our passions, our actions, our time, our talents, our finances. They all come from our heart, our sins, our weaknesses, our past hurts. Those are our responsibility. We've got to take responsibility for those things. Now, the biggest boundary problem that I see in my own life and in other people's lives is that we tend to think that... Uh, we look at the people, things, and circumstances. We blame the people, things, and circumstances of our life for our our bad feelings and our bad behavior, and that's simply not true. It's just it's a failure to have good, healthy boundaries. See, it really comes down to this: it's how you how you choose to evaluate the events of life, people, things, and circumstances, how you choose to evaluate the events in life that determine how you're going to feel about those events and how you're going to behave in response to those events. That's a boundary issue. So the tendency is to blame people, things, and circumstances of our lives for our negative feelings or our negative behavior, and that's simply not the case. The case is that we need to guard our hearts. Above all else, guard your heart For it is the wellspring of life. It's the direction you're going to go in life. So here's where we're headed with this study. We're going to talk about healthy relationships have a balance of two characteristics. These are really important if you want healthy relationships, not only with God, but also with one another. And then we're going to look at boundary problems. This is going to hurt a little bit. This is going to sting, okay? Because we all have boundary problems to a greater or lesser degree. And then we're going to end it by talking about some boundary skills. I'm going to take, I'm going to teach you some boundary skills this morning that will, that will help your life and give you. Uh a greater, greater sense of lifestyle and a, a, just a, a rest in your lifestyle, but also a better, greater rest in your relationship. So let's begin, first of all, with a word of prayer, and you can see the verses we're going to be heading into. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians 4.15, that'll be the first place, and then you'll be able to see through the notes where we're headed with the other verses, but uh, Let's pray. Father, we are delighted to be here today. We love you. We love you because you first loved us. And Father God, it's out of your perfect love and infinite wisdom that you have given us boundaries in your word to guide, guard, and govern our lives. Help us to establish healthy boundaries spiritually, emotionally, and relationally. Teach us when to say yes, when to say no. We pray that you would heal those of us who have damaged or distorted boundaries because of abuse in our lives. Help us to find rest for our souls for your yoke for us is easy and your burden is light. Show us how to have healthy relationships that speak the truth in love so that we can have greater levels of intimacy and maturity not only with you but with one another for your glory and our joy in Jesus' name. We pray these things and everyone said... Amen. Take a look at this. So, first of all, healthy relationships have a balance of, and let's read Ephesians four fifteen. You probably see these two characteristics right here in that first first part. Rather, speaking the truth in love. There you go. Truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. How do we mature? How do we grow? It's through truth in love. John chapter one verse fourteen. This is one of the disciples. John, and he says the word became flesh, speaking of Jesus, and made his dwelling among us. So he's thinking, this is the creator of the universe came down and dwelt among us. And then he says... And we have seen his glory. We were overwhelmed. We were captivated. We were smitten by the beauty and the glory of, of God in the flesh. We have seen his glory, weight, significance, importance, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of what? Full of what? full of grace and truth. There's those two characteristics again. So, so healthy relationships have a balance of mutual giving and receiving of both. There's your fill in the blank. Grace, unmerited favor, and truth, which is what's real or, or what is. And so, Grace and truth. Let's start, first of all, with our relationship with God. So we need this. This is what you need in your relationship with God. If you're going to grow in your relationship with God, if you're going to mature, uh, you need grace and truth. And then out of that, you're going to have both grace and truth in your relationships horizontally. So it starts vertically, moves horizontally. So vertically, let me ask you, are there times in your life when you have an overwhelming sense of God's love for you? There should be those times. Hopefully you had a little bit of that as we were singing these songs. These are wonderful songs this morning that we were singing, just an expression of of our love for God, his love for us, in encountering God through those moments. And so there should be that opportunity that you know deep in your heart that God is for you and not against you. Believe me, if you really believe that, you can face anything. He's for me. He's not against me. If God is for you, who can be against you? He who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? Oh, my goodness sakes, that's awesome. That's amazing. That truth alone is out of this world. He's for me. The creator of the universe is for me. He's not against me. And so that's that grace. That's the context God sees us as we are, he loves us as we are, he accepts us as we are, but he loves us too much to let us stay as we are. That's where the truth comes in. So the context is grace, favor, but then he speaks truth to us. What is or what's real? John eight thirty one and 32, Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you are really my disciples and you will know the what? The truth and the truth will do what? It will set you free. So he's saying, my word is truth. We also know that Jesus is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So that's, that's the vertical. And so when we begin to live in the reality of that vertically, we will be able to offer that horizontally. And when people love you, accept you, and listen to you as you are and don't judge you or try to fix you, you're experiencing Grace. That becomes a real safe environment. Relationships with grace are safe relationships. There's no condemnation or judgment. You, you, you can be yourself. When we are condemned in a relationship, what do we typically do? We, we shut down. We pull away. We play games. We wear masks. But when you are safe, you open up and you can uh, open up because no one will condemn you. And by the way, I was thinking about this. Uh, it just kind of hit me as I was thinking about this. So when you find someone kind of closing down to you, you feel like their spirit is closed. We talked about it last weekend. We talked about conflict resolution. When you feel like someone's closing down, it's because they don't feel safe. And it could be because of something that you've done or it could be something that has been done in the past. So the way that you open that up is, is by creating a place of grace, a safe. They need safety so that they can begin to open up. There's that insecurity The truth is what's real. There's the truth of physics. There's the truth of gravity. There's the truth of what we find in in the Bible. It's the feedback. Truth is the feedback that we give to our friends, to our business partners, and and to marriage, in marriage, and in parenting. And uh, so this is how we can look at it. Grace provides the safety we need. Grace provides the safety we need. Truth provides the structure we need. Grace says, I'm for you no matter what. So as God says that he's for us, that's the favor of God. We need to communicate that to one another. Listen, I'm for you. I'm for this marriage. I'm for this relationship. And that, has to, that cannot be overemphasized, by the way. And so that creates a safety so then the, then the two of you can open up about what's really going on in your life. You can speak truth in that context. So grace provides the safety we need. Truth provides the structure we need. Grace says I'm for you no matter what. Truth says... I need to give you some feedback so that you don't ruin yourself or this relationship. And so, so true love or true friends, you've heard us talk about this. True love, true friends, like a surgeon cuts us, not to harm us, but to heal us. There's healing in that. So you've heard me talk about this before. So grace without truth... So grace without truth is anesthesia without surgery. There's not going to be any life change in that. And um, it's actually placating and patronizing someone. It's flattery is what it is. It doesn't really benefit the relationship. But truth without grace is surgery without anesthesia. You don't want that. And so sometimes when someone's kind of wincing... Pulling back, it's probably because you need to pour a little bit more grace in that relationship so that there's a safety so that you can begin to discuss the more difficult things. We need a cradle of security for our moments of vulnerability. And that security comes through grace so that we can speak the truth. Grace with truth will produce spiritual growth and ultimately wholeness. So not only between us and God, but one another. So there should not only be times when you're overwhelmed by the love of God, you know that he's for you and not against you, but also when he's dealing with you. Like this morning, I'm sure that he's gonna speak to many of you about your boundaries and about boundary issues. And you just know, man, that that was for me, I needed that. I had someone last night tell me, oh, that stung, that hurt. But it was a good hurt. He was cutting me to, to bring healing to me because he loves me. And so that's, there's that where he's dealing, where you have a sense that he's dealing with me here. I need to make some course corrections. I need to come to some repentance in my life, and that's healthy. Now, let's talk about boundary problems. Galatians 6, chapter 6, verse 2 and 5. Take a look at this. This is really important as it relates to boundary problems. It says, bear one another's burdens. If you have your notes there in front of you, circle the word burdens. So bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And then it almost seems like this would be a contradiction, but verse 5, it says, for each will have to bear his own load. Circle the word load. It almost seems like, in some translations, we'll even say, each one will have to bear his own burdens. Uh, ESV puts that in to- totally two different words. So let me define those two words for you. The first one, burdens, in the Greek, the New Testament was written in Greek, Koine Greek. That was the language. And so when you get back to the Greek, the burdens here literally means a weight beyond their ability to carry. So bear one another's burdens, a weight beyond their ability to carry. So I'm going to liken this to a dump truck load. So from time to time, life is like a dump truck load that just comes on top of us and buries us. And uh, it's a dump truck load that you are unable to carry by yourself. This could be, for instance, a divorce a death of a loved one, an incapacitating disease, a financial collapse, a loss of job, a loss of a home. You're just overwhelmed, You're just knocked sideways by that. And that's why it says, bear one another's burdens. That so you need people in your life to support you, to encourage you, to be there for you. Now this next word, load, is verse, uh, the Greek here, And that's found in verse 5. For each one will have to bear his own load. It's talking about the burdens of everyday life, everyday things we are responsible for. These burdens are like a backpack that is possible to carry. So the first burden is like a drunk, uh, like a drunk, like a dump truck. I was trying to combine those two together. I'm I'm a little drunk up here this morning. Actually, I'm not, but... uh, (laughs) I do need another drink here. <laughs> Believe me, there's coffee in this, okay? Um, so a dump truck load uh, versus a backpack that, is, that you are responsible to carry. So here's where the problems come in with boundary issues. Problems arise when people act as if their dump truck loads are daily backpacks. Like, I don't need any help, I can get this on my own. No, you're, gonna, you're not going to be able to make it through this. You need, you need some support. So, so problems arise when people act as if their dump truck loads are daily backpacks and refuse help, or their daily backpacks are dump truck loads they shouldn't have to carry, and they try to put that off on you. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's, let's walk through this. There's four different groups of people. And what you're going to find out is you probably are in all four of these groups. Because I know you. <laughs> you're more messed up than what you think. Because you're a whole lot like me. Okay? Because I, I find myself in all four of these. Okay? And that's why uh, Jesus has me at the front of the class. Because I probably need it more than you. And so as I learn it, I'm going to try to pass it on to you and we'll learn it together. But here's the first one is the compliant Compliant people. They have a hard time saying no. Any people out there have a hard time saying no? Show of hands. You guys struggle with saying no from time to time? It all depends, huh? It all depends. And so they too easily give in to the demands and the needs of other people. They can't stand alone or distinct from people who want something from them. They pretend to like the same restaurants and, and movies their friends do just to get along. They minimize their differences with others so as to not rock the boat. They are often chameleons, they fear hurting the other person's feelings, they fear abandonment, they fear rejection. Now that's, that's kind of one type of compliant person, and, and remember I've talked to you about this before, there's two lies that we can fall prey to, and uh, one is, I need you to be complete. That's that first type of compliant person. I need you to be complete. The second lie is the more of a, the Messiah complex compliant person. If you need me, I'll be complete. So the first lie is, I need you to be complete. The second lie is, if you need me, I'll be complete. Healthcare care workers, uh, f- firefighters, police officers, pastors, uh, fall prey to that one. Messiah complex, we're going to save the world. I mean, when we started Desert Breeze, that's how I was. I thought I had to counsel everybody, pray for everybody, take care of everybody. I thought it was going to be, it was up to me. You know, me and Jesus, we're gonna save the world. And no, just Jesus is gonna save the world. I'm just here to point to him and I can't cover all the bases. But I tried and nearly crashed my life and my family and, and everything else around me. And so that's part of that Messiah complex that goes along with that compliance. So compliant people have a hard time saying no. Here's the second one is independent people have a hard time asking for help. They have a hard time seeing their own needs and even if they do see their needs, they have a hard time asking for help with their needs. And this is very common in our rugged individualistic society today. I can do this. Get out of my way. Nobody, nobody is going to help me. I don't need any help from anybody. That's very common. I don't need church. I don't need this. I don't need anybody. And uh, it can create major problems. In fact, what's interesting about this one is that they often withdraw when they are in need. And I've seen people have a dump truck load fall in their lap. And then instead of pressing in to the church and finding the support they need, they withdraw. I see people withdrawing that. That's because of this independent attitude. They won't even show up to church anymore. They just kind of hide out. And they probably are medicating themselves in some form or fashion. So they often withdraw when they are in need. And in fact, what's interesting about this is that when you combine the compliant people with the independent people, you can have a combination of both. When someone needs four hours with me, I can't say no. When I need someone for 10 minutes, I can't ask for it. You guys know what I'm talking about there? Can you relate to that? So I'm, I'll go out of my way to help others, but when it comes to my help, nah, I can't even hardly ask for 10 minutes. And that's, that's actually the compliant independent person they're unable to receive the support they are so generous to offer to others what they have here is they have reversed boundaries and are a candidate how many have ever heard of the word burnout yeah Yeah, you're a candidate for burnout you're generous to help everybody else but you don't offer you don't ask for help from anybody now, here's the, th- the third one. So, compliant people have a hard time saying no. Independent people have a hard time asking for help. Controlling people don't respect others' boundaries. Now, people, uh, let me give you a couple of what that looks like here. One would be just someone whose life is out of control. So, my life is out of control, so I'm going to control your life. I'm going to control everything else around me because I'm out of control because I have, I have an addictive uh, behavior going on. And so I'm going to try to get you and control you so that it'll help to facilitate my addiction. People that have a addictive behavior will do that. Or it can be just people who are just control freaks. And a control freak, we all have a kind of a a little bit of that in our our lives. By, uh, By nature, we're sinners. And so what we tend to do is that we try to control the people, things, and circumstances of our life because our identity is so built on maybe people and their performance in our life or how our circumstances are going or any number of things. And so we become control freaks. Our identity is attached to the performance or behavior of others or our circumstances. Controlling people use one of or both of these forms of manipulation. One is anger. I'll get mad if you don't do what I want you to do, I'll throw a temper tantrum like a six year old. Now, there's a couple of different ways. We talked about it last weekend under conflict resolution. And I said, that. so there's, there's two ways to throw that temper tantrum. One is open aggression. The other one is closed aggression. You guys remember that? And so you can do it in, in, in both of those ways. It, it, it broke my heart number of years ago when uh, my kids were small and I was on the fire department and I wasn't dealing with the stress of that very well and I would come home and I was quite stressed out and I was doing more of the closed aggression at work but open aggression at home and my wife told me that she had to tell the kids now 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 behave yourself and don't break anything because we don't want dad to to flip out on us and we don't want him to get angry and so they were they were walking around on eggshells and when she told me they broke my heart that my kids in a place where they should feel safe were walking around on eggshells because they were afraid that God, that dad might blow a head gasket over what they're doing or saying or or any number of things and boy, the Lord really began to deal with me. It's like, that's not their problem. I'm putting it on them. I'm a f- control freak. I need to deal with my anger. And I really begin to uh, work on that and seek help to, to sort through that. So that's one way controlling people, uh, control others is through guilt. But here's another one is, uh, I'm sorry, through anger. The second one is guilt. So the first one is anger. I'll get mad if you don't do what I want you to do. The second one is guilt. I'll be hurt if you don't do what I want you to do. So here's, here would be uh, kind of a, a, a conversation that, would, uh, that that would sound like. The son calls up his mom. Hey, mom, we won't be able to swing by uh, and see you and dad this summer on our family vacation. Mom's response. Here's mom's response. What do you mean you can't drive five states over to see your dad and I? Do you know how many hours I was in labor with you? <laughs> so that's the guilt. Uh... And it comes in a lot of different forms. I've got a few more here. How about this one? How could you do this to me after all I've done for you? That's, that's the guilt. Or, and there's a whole slew of them here. Uh, you have no idea how much we sacrificed for you. Or maybe after I'm dead and gone, you'll be sorry. There's a good one. And then I love the, I love the ones that are, are the dressed up in God talk. Because I've had those thrown at me. We've had them here at Desert Breeze. We, people will come in and wanting handouts, and we don't give out money or help indiscriminately. We help, help them. We want to help their whole life, not just bail them out. We don't want to enable them. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But I've heard this before, and people have said, How can you call yourself a Christian? There was a guy out at Santa Day O'Connor High School on a Sunday morning one time was asking for money because he was about ready to be thrown out of his apartment. And he, he came after me. He said, you call yourself a Christian? I go, mm, yeah, I do. And, uh, and in fact, you see those guys? They're security. Come over here. Take him out of here. And uh, there's a good boundary. And then how about this one? Uh, that's why we got security here. Where's the security? Yeah, right there. This is okay. They're, they're sitting here. They're sitting right in here among us. Here, go take care of this guy right here. Okay, we'd love to. Okay, thank you. I thought Christians were supposed to think of others. Yeah, but I'm not thinking of you right now. Um, you must really have a spiritual problem to be acting this way. Well, wow, I mean, so there's, there's different ways of using anger and guilt. And then the fourth one here is an insensitive person or insensitive people. So compliant people have a hard time saying no. Independent people have a hard time asking for help. Controlling people don't respect others' boundaries. And then insensitive people don't hear the needs of others. We're not... Now, now let me just... Let me level with you right here just so that you really understand this. You and I are not responsible for the feelings, attitudes, and behaviors of others. Okay, spouses, you're not... It's not your job to make your spouse happy. Parents, parents, listen to me. It's not your job to make your kids happy. All I want is my kids to be happy. What? That's a little low. How about holy? And they'll be happy unlike ever before. Because they'll be fully devoted to the only one that can satisfy the deepest longing of their souls and, and, and so, so the tendency is that we make we, we tend to take responsibility for what's not ours and uh, that can hurt us in a lot of ways so we're not responsible for the feelings attitudes and behaviors of others boy I, I, as parents we can really uh, attach ourselves to that we can somehow think and take responsibility for that if your kids are grown and gone woo they're on their own praise God God you get them I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to love him. I'm going to speak truth to him. God you get him. I know you'll get him. <laughs> yeah, he will. He loves him more than you love him. And, but man, you don't sweat all that stuff. You got to let it go. Otherwise, you're too codependent. You've got some controlling issues. You've got boundary issues. So we are not responsible for the feelings, attitudes, and behaviors of others. But we are responsible to love, support, and encourage others. Even if your kids are still in your home, you're not, you're not responsible for their happiness, okay? You're not. You're trying to help them to become responsible people, adults, who love, who love Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and love their neighbors as theirself. That's it. That's your job, just to kind of help them do that. And, and they might even resist that. There's no guarantees. But, man, you're going to pray like crazy that they get it. But you're going to have to keep your heart filled up with the love of Jesus so that you can pass that on, on to them. Now, there are two types of insensitive people. The one is self-absorbed with their own problems. So, so they're so self-absorbed, they can't even hear that you have problems. Or you start sharing your problems and then they go, well, if you think that's something, listen to mine. <laughs> and they lay that one on you. That's one type of person. And then there's the other type of uh, insensitive person and, and it's Job's miserable comforters. Oh, my goodness. If you get in a small group with people like Job's miserable comforters, leave that small group. <laughs> Go find another. You guys know what I'm talking about there? Job's miserable comforters were miserable because they weren't comforters. I don't know why we, I would call them comforters. They were just miserable. And they tended to have this idea that they thought that people get what they deserve so you must have done something wrong, must have a lack of faith or maybe you did something bad, Job. But, but Job was a very righteous, very holy man and you guys know this, that yeah, there is a sowing and reaping law and you, can, you, you do reap what you sow but sometimes you reap what you haven't sowed because we live in a fallen world and that's just the way it is and that's what we see in the book of Job. Job. And so sometimes that insensitive people can, can do that because they're, they're not multidimensional in their understanding of why suffering happens in our lives. And it can come from a lot of different directions. And so that's important. There's the four boundary problems. So let me give you some boundary skills. In Matthew eleven twenty eight thirty 30, gives us really a good platform for that. It says, come to me. This is Jesus. These are tender words. These are wonderful words. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Just take that, just that first, that first sentence. Is, some of you need to hear that this morning. He's inviting us this morning. Come to me, all ye that are burdened and heavy laden. Do you ever feel that way sometimes? Burdened and heavy laden? Maybe it's the marriage. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's the job. Man, I'm just overwhelmed by life. And he's saying, hey, hey, come to me. Come to me. Come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Those are the words of our Savior. Come to me, all of you who are, anybody, everybody, who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Notice this. Take my yoke. Anybody have yoke for breakfast? It's not the same yoke, is it? No. No, this is a different kind of yoke. This is a a harness for pulling a plow. They put it on an ox. Pull a plow or pull a wagon. So, so he is giving us some responsibility. So, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly. That word lowly means humble, humble in heart, just an accurate accurate view of yourself. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If, If your soul is not at rest, you may have boundary problems. So this is just kind of a, it's just giving us, we look at this and and as I study it, I think, wait a minute, I'm too stressed out. I I, I need to come to you this morning and I need to rely on you and learn from you and trust in you and so there's something going on in my life that I need to work on as it relates to these boundaries. Now, it could be that I'm not actually following Jesus. I say that I follow Jesus, but I'm not actually living according to his word and that's going to create problems in your life. That's going to create an unrest because you're trying to find your satisfaction in creation as opposed to the creator. It could be through your job. It could be really good things like a marriage and and kids and all those other things. But you're not supposed to find your satisfaction there. You're supposed to find it in him. And that's going to create an unrest in your life. But it could be also that you're doing what he's called you to do, but you're doing way too much. God's called me to pastor this church, but there's limits to what I can do. And so I I disappoint a lot of people regularly. And, And that's just the way it is. As I draw boundaries, there's only so much that I can do. And so it could be that you're doing what he's called you to do, but you're doing too much, and that will stress you out. That'll wear you out. Or you're doing what he's called you to do, but you're not relying upon his strength. You're not regularly coming to him and allowing his love to captivate you and to refuel you. So that could be also. I asked you this question earlier. Have you ever heard of burnout? Yeah. Yeah, that's what he's talking about here. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. If you don't, you're going to find it's about burnout. Boundaries are not about being selfish. And sometimes as you start drawing those boundary lines, you're going to feel a little bit selfish. And people might even say, hey, that's awfully selfish of you. No, no, it isn't. It's not about selfishness. It's about stewardship. It's about learning to, to be responsible for what God has given you. And here's the first thing. Number one, always start with love always start with love, John 13, 34 through 35, we talked about that verse, but I, there's one phrase I want you to understand in this verse, He says, love one another, this is Jesus speaking, love one another as I have loved you, so how are we to love one another? Like Jesus loves us, you can't love others unless you're regularly allowing him to love you. So let me go back to what I said before. This is the most important thing. So if you've been sleeping up to this point, wake up, wake up. Here we go. This is the most important thing because even if you don't get anything after this, if you understand this, you're gonna be able to work on the, the rest of this on your own through the love of Christ. When was the last time you sat in the presence of God And you just begin to bask in his love for you. And you are overwhelmed by that. Maybe even brought tears to your eyes. He loves you. He's for you. It's not enough to simply know God loves you. You must actually experience it regularly. You've got to know it deep in your heart. That was revolutionary for me. So that's why you you do personal devotions. That's why you hang out with other fired up Christians. That's why you come on weekend services so I can remind you of this. But there's those times where you just, maybe, maybe it's playing a song. Maybe it's reading a text. For me this last week, I cannot survive unless I spend consistent, regular time of awe and intimacy with my Savior. And a verse that I was meditating on, I usually do it through meditation. There was a verse that I was meditating on, Psalm 119, 103. Listen to these words. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. This is a guy who is, is lost in awe and intimacy with God, finding unparalleled satisfaction and strength just in communion with God. His words, oh God, as as I interact with you, as you speak to me, as I share my heart with you, as I tell you how much I love you and as I experience your love and as you speak truth to my heart, oh my goodness, unbelievably satisfying but also strengthening for my life. When you meditate on Christ and his unfathomable grace and truth, you lose yourself in him. You begin to lose yourself in him. And paradoxically, you find yourself. And always start with love. It's only in that that I'll be able to do the next here. And that is number two, love others without enabling. And so I've got to make a distinction between, is this a dump truck load or is this a backpack? Remember Galatians 6, 2 and 5? So love says, I'm for you, and I'm in your corner with you, but I'm not going to fix your problems. Make sense? Yep. That's hard for us because parents and, and leaders and, and people, you know, we tend to want to try to fix each other and, and, and do that. And that's, that's part of the love. Giving and sacrifice are a part of the Christian life, but we are never to enable people we help people with their dump truck loads, but not their backpacks. And we got to know the difference. How many have ever tried to make a miserable person happy? Anybody? Show of hands. How'd that work for you? Huh? Not very good. It probably made you miserable in the process. And so at some point, you got to say, hey, listen, if you want to be miserable, you can be miserable. I'm not going to be miserable with you. I know misery loves company, but don't, don't call me into that misery. And so, you know, and that's, and that's oftentimes what you have to do with even your kids. You have to do it with family members. And, and that's part of it. I'm always, I always think about uh, the younger brother and the prodigal son's story. I call them prodigal sons because they were both prodigals. But the elder brother who, remember the story? 15th chapter of Luke. What did he do? He took his inheritance and went off and blew it on wild living and prostitutes. Where did he end up? In the pig pen. Pig pen. That's where we all end up. Apart from God. And then there was a time when he was in his pig pen. You remember he comes to his senses. That was a real critical work of God in his life. But I always imagine well-meaning Christians coming along before he comes to his senses and feeling bad. Oh, I can't bear him being in the pig pen. Come here, come on. Here. We'll give you some money. We'll hose you off. We get you out of there. Only for him to do what? Right back into the pig pen. So there's almost kind of some pain and suffering that we've got to be okay with when we watch our our family members, our loved ones, because we are praying like crazy, oh God, bring them to their senses, open their eyes, I don't want to interfere with your work, and that's important. So love without enabling, but you also need to do this, let me give you another illustration here, love without becoming overwhelmed by their problems. Because oftentimes we enable us because we, we take on their problems for them. When I was uh, with uh, Phoenix Fire, we did, uh, did some, uh, some water rescue training. And it was quite interesting. I, I'd never had training before like that. And this is what I found that was quite interesting about it. Is that they said when someone's drowning, you guys know how you approach them? Okay, you get, how many know that you approach them behind? Why do you approach them from behind? Is because if you approach front ways, they'll grab a hold of you, and what will they do? Drowning. You're drowning with them, baby. <laughs> They're going to take you down, and, and initially, it almost seems a little cruel. But they'd say, "No, this is what you do. You enter the water like this. Your feet are up like this, and you're coming over there close to them, and you come up from behind them and grab a hold of them. But if they spin around and grab a hold of you, they'll try to pull you down. And so, guess what you do? You kick them away." <laughs> That's so mean. You're not pulling me down with you. You can drown. I'm not drowning with you. That sounds rude, doesn't it? That's what you got to do. You know why? You can't let people pull you down. If you're going to minister to people, I mean, I'll tell you what, Nancy and I would have not survived in ministry for 25 years if we hadn't kicked a few people away, okay? I don't, that sounds bad, doesn't it? But... <laughs> But, but we had to separate ourselves and say, hey, wait, 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 you're miserable and you're not going to drag us down into this mess. We're going to stay distinct and separate. I'm not going to be overwhelmed with your misery. My hope is in Jesus. I'm sad for you, but there's hope in Jesus and in the gospel and I'm hanging on to him as I'm trying to help you get out of that mess. That's part of it. That's part of loving others without enabling. And then number three, we confront in love. Proverbs 27, verse 6 and 17. Verse 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Verse 17 says, iron sharpens iron as one person sharpens another. We all have blind spots. You know that? We all have blind spots and we all desperately need the input of others. Uh, One of my favorite stories... (laughs) of this is a number of years ago we went to went to vca got some friends here that attend here that uh, used to go to vca valley christian assembly a number of years ago my wife and i attended there for 10 years and we were at we just pulled in the parking lot and we were getting out of the car unloading our our three kids and all the stuff there out of the car and nancy looks over to the front of the church as someone's walking in and she notices that this gal that's walking into the church building has tucked her dress into her pantyhose and so the whole back end of her Roll back in as being revealed here, and so Nancy had one of those things where I was like, ah, 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 "I gotta tell her, I gotta tell her," and I'm, I can't remember her name and what's her name. Hey, 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 hey. She's like, ah. <laughs> so she runs over to her, says, "Your, ah, 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 your dress is tucked in your pantyhose," and I'm thinking, I mean, I'm watching this whole thing going, "This ought to be good." If she doesn't. <laughs> She doesn't get to her in time. She's walking down the aisle there. And this might light this place on fire unlike ever before. <laughs> Probably not, but it's, it's just crazy. I just thought, this ought to be interesting. And, uh, and so she walks over to her and, and says, hey, your dress is tucked in your pantyhose. And the gal goes, what? She felt, first of all, she goes, oh! <laughs> I thought she was going to pull the dress off to try to pull it down around her. Now, Imagine that Nancy comes over to her, says, your dress is tucked in your pantyhose. It is not. Don't judge me. I hate it when I come to church and people judge me. No, no, your dress is tucked in your pantyhose. Really, seriously. You're exposing yourself right now. You know, it's kind of interesting. We're the last ones to see how self-centered we are. I, I thank God for my wife because at times she said, your, your dress is tucked in your pantyhose. I go, really? How's that? Well, you said this and you shouldn't have done that. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. Thank you for that. We all have blind spots. And we need to have people come alongside of us and say, your dress is tucked in your pantyhose. Okay, we really do. And that's awkward. It's really awkward. But we got to be okay with that. Any love that is afraid to confront isn't love, but rather a kind of emotional hunger to be loved. See, if you're afraid to confront someone, you are using, you're exploiting the person to feed your own emptiness. I love what Bonhoeffer says. He says, Nothing can be more cruel than the leniency which abandons others to their sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe reprimand which calls another Christian in one's community back from the path of sin. Number four, learn to say no when it's best. So Matthew 5.37, let your yes be yes and your no be no. We've got to learn to say no to the good so that we can say yes to the best. If you want to accomplish anything big in life, you'll have to disappoint some people. And you're going to have to learn to say no. I was thinking, I was thinking of this as it relates to a couple in this church that have been coming for a while. And uh, Gary and Carol uh, Velasquez. I, I, uh, Joe and I were talking to them, uh, talking to, to uh, Gary a couple w- days ago, and he told me that when they first became Christians, they set down a boundary not to watch TV for two years. And it was revolutionary for them. And all they did was bury themselves in the Bible. And I think, I, I know it was life transforming. For them, and they talked and talked about the Bible, and God so shaped their lives in that. I I just, as I was thinking of that, they learned to say no to to that. They said, Nope. And then they told me, I don't know why we ever turned the TV back on. You know, because it's just such a mess, and, and how it influences our lives in so many negative ways. And so we've got to learn to say no. Say no. When people don't accept your no, and ask you why, you can respond with these five words. I'm going to teach you these five words. That doesn't work for me. So say that after me. That doesn't work for me. That doesn't work for me. Say it again. Say that with boldness. That doesn't work for me. So the next time you have a salesman try to sell you something you can't afford and don't need, you're going to say with boldness, Doesn't work for me. That's right. The next time you have a friend or relative ask you to do something that will ultimately enable their irresponsibility, you're going to say with courage, That that doesn't work for me. The next time your spouse isn't feeling well and wakes you in the middle of the night for you to get him or her a drink of water and some medicine, you're going to say with great bravery, no, 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 no. No, no, you're not going to say it right there. That's not a good time. You're going to say, honey, I would be delighted to do that for you. That's what you're going to say. Because remember, learn to say no when it's best. Otherwise, you're sleeping on the couch. Okay? So learn to say no when it's best. And number five, be honest about your feelings and needs. Ephesians 4.25, therefore, because of the new life, because of the new life, therefore, is what he's saying. He's talking about the previous verses. He's talking about the new life we have in Christ. Having put away falsehood, no more playing games. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So truth builds trust, trust builds relationships. Five levels of communication, we've got to learn how to take it to the deeper level. We get kind of hung up in the first three. So the first level, we're going to talk about communication next week, but the first level is cliche conversation. It's the kind of conversation we have with a person at fries. How you doing? Fine. Pretty meaningful, isn't it? Um, And so that's kind of cliche conversation. The next level is sharing facts. So you might want to take it to a deeper level like, hey, it's getting warm out there. Sure is, I don't like the warm weather. So you're actually kind of taking it deeper. So cliche conversation, sharing of facts, and then you've taken it to opinions. So opinions is the third level, and this is where most conversations stop. We get it and we share our opinion and you share your opinion and we get into a fight and we gotta go back to cliche conversation and work our way back to opinions. Only to fight again and then go back again. So what we've got to do is we've got to learn to take it to the next two levels, deeper levels, which is feelings and needs. And you quit sharing your opinion and start saying, Hey, this is how I'm feeling, this is what I'm needing. This is how I'm feeling, this is what I'm needing. And um, if you're under, if, if you have a busy schedule, you have a need for more cooperation and help with household chores from your spouse and children. I, and I love my wife because that's what she did when our kids were getting into the junior high and high school years. I mean, she cracked the whip around there. She's like, hey, you guys are going to learn how to do laundry. You're going to learn how to cook a meal because in one of these days you're going to be out on your own. And so you're going to learn ha- how to manage a household and do all that. So she had those kids popping and jumping and doing stuff. And, and those kids learn some responsibility. And that's what you need to do. This is how I'm feeling. I'm feeling overworked. I need some help from everybody around here. And that's what she would do from time to time. Say, hey, need a little more help out of some of you. And then she'd go to me. I need a whole lot more help out of you. <laughs> okay. So uh, maybe if, if you are under a lot of stress, you may need more alone time with God. Do you know where you are as it relates to your stress level? There for years, I didn't know, not know where I was until I went off on somebody. And then I go, ooh, I'm right over the edge. Well, I didn't even know I was over the edge. You pushed me over the edge. No, they didn't push you over the edge. You were there on the edge. You were just waiting for somebody to push you, but it's not their fault. Don't blame them. No, you gotta be in touch with where you are emotionally. I know where that edge is now. It's like, I try to stay a long ways away from it. Ooh, I'm getting close to the edge. Jesus, I need you. I'm desperate for you. <sighs> I need to rest in you. Okay, now I'm a little bit further away from the edge. You need to know that. You need to know what's going on in your life. If you're feeling alone, you may need deeper levels of communication with your spouse and your best friends. Tell them, I'm feeling alone. We have a hard time with that. If you're in a small group, say, man, I'm feeling all alone. I need some help. I'm really needing somebody. I need to know that you guys are in my corner. People can't read your mind. So you ask them. Tell them how you're feeling and ask. I realized early on that my wife, all I needed to do was tell her how I was feeling, and and I would ask her, and she was ready. She's like, yes. I was waiting for you to ask me. I go, oh, okay. I thought you could read my mind. (laughs) If you are unhappy with your sexual life, you have a need for greater honesty and communication about sexual issues with your spouse. You've got to get in touch with your feelings and needs and then take the initiative to state those feelings and needs and allow others to know, you, know your boundaries. Anytime you try to handle trials or temptations in isolation, you're extremely vulnerable to, to disillusionment and deception. You're going to be led astray. Accountability is a tool and a gift we give to one another so that we can realize greater levels of, of intimacy, not only with God and growth with God, but intimacy and growth with, with one another. Number six, here we go. Give consequences when necessary. We're almost finished. Give consequences when necessary. Proverbs 19, 19, a man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. So sometimes you have to go beyond saying no to doing no. No. So your no doesn't work with them. So you have to do no. And some people will disregard words and need pain to change. So let me give you three examples. You can continue to yell and attack me verbally if you choose to, but I will choose not to be in your presence when you act like that. That's a good healthy boundary. How about this one? You may choose not to deal with your drinking problem if you want, but I will not continue to expose myself and the children to this insanity. The next time you are drunk, we will go to the Smiths for the night and we will tell them why we are there. Your drinking is your choice. What I will put up with is mine. Here's the last one I'll give you. I will not choose to share you sexually with naked women in magazines. It's up to you. I will only sleep with someone who is interested in me. Make up your mind and choose. That's good stuff. So, boundary skills. Always start with love. Love others without enabling. Confront and love. Learn to say no when it's best. Be honest about your feelings and needs and give consequences when necessary. We're gonna talk about communication next week. Now, you were given in your bulletin one of these and uh, at the end of this next month, this next month starts in a couple days, uh, March. Uh, it's our big Easter celebration and we're kicking off a new teaching series, Recovering All. We're gonna work our way through the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll go go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through that book. Be a great study. But here's what I want you to consider. Consider the people that are within your circle of touch and picking up a pack of these invite cards on the way out, about 10, and begin to pray to see how God would have you pass these out among your family and friends. Here's what I've learned is that people will attend church Easter weekend if they're asked. Unchurched people will come on Easter weekend if they're asked the majority. So just, it's a matter of that. We give, we've given you the ask right here. And on the back, oh my goodness, it's a, it's a free drink from our cafe. Give that to them. Say, hey, come and get, a, get one on us and hang out with us on Easter weekend. We add a service on Easter weekend, plus we'll be finished up with our overflow room, our bigger overflow room. We have an overflow room right now that we have people meeting over there. Even, uh, I'm sure pr- probably in this service, we're maxed out in this service. But, uh, but we have a 107 is an overflow room that we're building out. It'll, it'll see about 100. We're adding a service that weekend, and, and believe me, we will pack that weekend out. It'll be packed out with people, and we're asking you to participate with us. Invite your family and friends with these cards. It's going to be an exciting weekend. We are celebrating 25 years, and so that's a, that's a super neat thing, 25 in counting. Let me pray. God, we thank you so much for your word and how it transforms our lives, the purpose of your your ordained boundaries is so that we would find rest for our souls, and that we would be able to produce healthy, a healthy lifestyle and healthy relationships that glorify you. So, God help us to apply all of these truths to our lives through the work and the power of Your Holy Spirit. Even as it tells us here in Second Corinthians uh, thirteen, eleven, on our notes it says, "Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God." God of love and peace will be with you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.